0: High in the air, Brito back at the wall, Adios,
2: Pelotas!
0: Welcome to episode number 198 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, with the 198th pick of the 2010 draft, the
2: Giants selected. Come on, Jeopardy champ. Come on. 198th pick of the...
0: <laughs> Where are you going with this?
2: Wow. Um. Well, gosh, now I have to actually turn my brain on and think, what round would that be in? So It would be the sixth
0: round. I'll give you sixth round.
2: Okay, sixth round, two thousand ten. Um oh boy. I, my brain is broken. You're gonna have to help me out. Is it um Joe Panic?
0: No, it's Oh wait, no, be he was Joe a
2: first round pick. That's a terrible guess. That was a terrible, <laughs> terrible terrible, terrible guess. I would say that we should go back and re record and start the episode over, but I'm gonna own that. I'm gonna own that terrible, terrible guess. That's like Final
0: Jeopardy being US presidents and you coming up with Ben Franklin. Yep. Come on, Andy, yep. come yep. on. Yep. It. No. That's true. It's but uh it's it's Mike Kickham. How was I supposed to know that? You weren't. It was a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, Mike Kickham, we get to talk about him just real briefly because uh, I enjoy him because his uh, ERA as a Giant was, let's see, his career ERA was 10.98. Not great. That is not a good ERA. It's one of the highest in Giants history at, with any any innings limit that you set. However, his ERA with the Dodgers... So it got worse when he went to the Dodgers. That's good enough for a good Giant designation.
2: He last appeared with the Giants in 2014. And then he resurfaced with the Boston Red Sox in 2020. And I think he pitched in every independent league and everywhere you could possibly pitch. I think he pitched in the Mexican League. So he went to He's Winter He's pitching Ball. there now. He's pitching there now. He's with yeah. uh, Guadalajara this year. How about that? So where he has a 27 ERA. Ooh, not trending in the right direction. But yeah, it's, I always give a guy a lot of uh, um, respect when he hangs in there and just refuses to have that uniform taken off him or just gets a different uniform. So good for Mike Kickham.
0: Yeah, 100%. I, I appreciate the heck out of his career. Um, and that is without irony or snark, but we are... Not here to talk about Mike Kickham.
2: Are you sure? uh, Well. We can spin this one half an hour. Well, I mean, the alternative is talking about another one-run loss.
0: Boy, I guess we got to get into it. We're here to talk about the 2022 Giants. And I really enjoyed uh, your kind of roundup of last night's game. We're recording this on Friday morning. So I'm talking about Thursday's one-run loss to the Brewers. It was a master class in explaining how the Brewers are better than the Giants without saying it outright. You just kind of mentioned, well, they have Devin Williams They're They're doing a few of the little things. The defenses uh, are a little bit, they gave the Brewers a little bit better chance to win. Uh, But it seems like the Giants are not getting blown out of the water by the Brewers on paper or on the field. But it just seems like there's that little extra edge that the Brewers might have right now. And I'm not sure how the Giants make that up.
2: Yeah. Well, it was such a great pitching matchup, Carlos Rodon and Corbin Burns. I, I got to the ballpark way later than I normally do because I'm like, I'm not really interested in anything that's going to happen pregame. I'm writing this pitching matchup. And it, it kind of, Carlos Rodon this year reminds me a little bit of, of covering Tim Lincecum, especially in the Cy Young years, because you would go to the ballpark and you knew, okay, the odds are like Ninety percent that Tim Lincecum is my story today. No matter what happens around him, the Earth can open up and swallow, you know, uh, some players whole, and it won't matter. Tim Lincecum <laughs> is going to be my story, and I feel that way about when I watch Carlos Rodon. I just think he's so compelling, and he's the most compelling figure on this Giants team, aside from you know a couple of really hot weeks Jock Peterson had in in April. So, and and obviously the slap in Cincinnati that was also somewhat compelling for different Jeez. reasons. Um, but no, it, it was a great pitching match. And, and, and I really feel like, you know, the, the Brewers got Rodon out after five innings. The Giants got Corbin Burns out in the eighth inning. And that's the difference in the game, as far as I'm concerned, especially when, you know, the only real chance you have against the Brewers is that space between. The starter coming out and Devin Williams and potentially Josh Hader coming in. And there's so many ways that the Giants weren't able to save Rodon pitches or the Brewers were able to make him spend pitches. And and, and the Giants weren't able to do the same thing against Burns. And so many of those little, those little sort of attrition moments led to another one-run loss. And there was a comment uh, from someone on um, the story that I wrote. I was reading through the comments this morning. He used the phrase, he or she used the phrase, Rorschach test, because you could look at this and say, look, the Giants had a lead against the reigning NL Cy Young winner, one of the best pitchers in baseball. You know, they lost on a fluky hit in the 10th inning. This is one of those games that shows that they're right there. They're, they're ready. But then you, if you really watch the whole game, they played a terrible baseball game. They made All kinds of different mistakes, and they didn't do enough to win. And they've now lost 19 games by a one-run margin, and no team in the majors has lost more. They're tied with the Texas Rangers and the Miami Marlins for the most one-run losses in baseball. And you can't say it's bad luck. A lot of these one-run games, they just aren't doing enough to win them. It
0: used to be that the sabermetric orthodoxy was that one-run games were generally, you should be 500. Every team, bad or good, should be 500 or close to it. There is some negligible effect, or I I shouldn't say negligible, but limited effect that your bullpen can have on it or poor play that can get you a little bit under or a little bit over if you have a good bullpen. I still kind of subscribe to that. I don't think that the Giants should be that many games under 500 when it comes to one-run games. But when you actually watch the games, it makes sense. The Giants gave up, I don't remember, like 13 hits last night and they got... What, Four, five—that's uh, not that's not bad luck. Between the one-run record and the Pythagorean win-loss, and I know I'm sounding like a total nerd right now, I do think the Giants have been a little snake bit this year. You can't explain it all the way. They just—they play a lot of sloppy baseball.
2: You know, there was a big uh, play. Uh, Mikey Ustremski made a catch uh, near the wall uh, to end an inning, and it pumped up the ballpark, and everyone cheered. And it was a nice play. He had to leave his feet and and make a little hop at the wall. Honestly, not a super difficult play for a center fielder. It's not one of the uh, top 10 plays. You know, It wasn't a web gem. But when you just look at the context of how the Giants have played defense this year, it looks like the greatest play ever because uh, of all those hits, I would say that at least three, if not four, might have been preventable, um, or easily preventable. David VR double clutches on a, a ground ball that, that's, uh, generously scored a single. Uh, there's a, a pop fly by Rowdy Telez in the second inning. When the Giants are shifted over and VR is a third baseman trying to catch a ball in uh, foul ground in right field. So he's obviously out of his depth and, um, but Luis Gonzalez was nowhere to be found and just sort of you know, ambled in on it. I mean, there are all kinds of plays like that. You know, Tyro Estrada is can't quite leap up and, and, and snag a line drive. Estrada makes a throw on an easy double play, a very routine double play, that pulls Brandon Crawford off the bag. They only get one out. All of those plays cost the Giants pitches. A lot of them cost Rodon pitches. And then, obviously, it doesn't help when Jonathan Davis works a 13-pitch at bat that really uh, expended him and, and, and ensured that Rodon would get out of the game. Uh, in the fourth. And that's, uh, you tip your cap to an opponent when they do something like that. I mean, that was probably the the biggest leverage moment in the game in terms of the, what made the most impact on, on the Brewers winning and the Giants losing. But the Giants also did it to themselves too. And, um, you know, they just, there've been too many games like this.
0: And again, we've talked about this where it is, the trade-off is going to be well, We're going to score more runs. We understand. This is the roster we built, and we built it very specifically to score more runs than our opponent. That is the goal of baseball. And we're going to do this by giving a few on the defensive side and getting more on the offensive side and when it works it makes sense and it worked last year it's worked in the past we've it seems like every podcaster is saying Michael Morris Travis E. well not Travis E. Chicago Pat Burrell and, and you know it, the gambit has worked in the past but it's just not working this year and when you've got Luis Gonzalez hasn't gotten going yet uh, since he's come back from the IL he's been in a little mini slump uh, you have Jock Peterson hasn't been doing a whole heck of a lot since April you're not getting the returns back from this trade-off that you might expect. And that's the story of the 2022 Giants season so far.
2: You know, Lamont Wade Jr. is not going to hit 16 for 34 in the ninth inning or later every year, obviously. But, you know, he's also like 0 for 8 this year, um, which, you know, is an entirely small simple. But, you know, not everything is going to break like it did for the Giants last year. But it's, it's just, uh, yeah, even if you just throw out all the comparisons to last season, you know, they haven't been a, a, a playoff baseball team. They, they haven't. And, and, and I know that this is the part of the podcast where one or, or the other of us, usually you, but I'll steal it today, has to say the bones are good. The bones are good. The starting pitching is good and maybe even getting better. But yeah, it's just, it, there's just a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of loose ends you can tug at in a lot of these one-run games
0: listen what 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 day is it it is july 15th as of this recording we there's two weeks uh with a couple days added on until the trade deadline we're talking about this as if okay it's easy to diagnose the problem the the defense isn't hot uh the offense isn't hot enough to make up for the defense okay so this is the diagnosis how do you fix it do you fix it at the deadline i'm not sure if this is something that can be fixed at the deadline because you're going to assume, okay, we're going to be sticking with uh, Belt, Crawford, Jastrzemski, Peterson. You're going to list out some names and you're going to have a good chunk of the position player lineup. Who do you bring in that magically fixes this? It's it's almost like the prescription is you just hit better. I, I just can't think of a better prescription than uh, do, do better at the plate. I don't know.
2: Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, you still run into the situation where, you know, Brandon Belt is coming up with the bases loaded, and uh, they're pinch-hitting for him to get the matchup. I mean, at some point, you know, maybe you have to let Brandon Belt, you know, be your guy, and I know that he's he's still getting up to speed, but I thought that was an interesting moment in the game. And and, and Darren Ruff had a really good uh, at-bat. He, he drove a ball to right field. It was caught at the warning track, so, you know, I think he did. He put the bat on the ball and, and hit it hard, which is what the – why he was sent up there. So, you know, it's hard to say, to fault that and say that was a terrible move. But you wonder if, if maybe they'll start to back down from from some of their orthodoxy. And 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 I don't think that's going to happen. I think that they're going to stick to their guns and, you know, and keep uh, making the moves that this roster is designed to make. And, you know, it's not like the offense has been terrible. The, the, the weird thing, and I know you've written about this a ton, is um, just how hot and cold the Giants have run. I mean, Only the Yankees have scored 12 or more runs in a game more often than the Giants have. I think it was the Yankees that have done it nine times. The Giants have done it eight times. Nobody else has done it more than four. So what we have is a run distribution problem. (laughs) I don't know how you solve that. I really don't.
0: Yeah. No, it's a maddening team to watch. And I think it would be a maddening team to watch even without the shadow of 2021 uh, looming over it. But that doesn't help. But I, I want to get back to the Brandon Belt pinch hitting stuff because it fascinates me. I want to know what's different this year compared to previous years. Is it that uh, the DH allows Gabe Kapler to say, well, I'm not going to have a pitcher spot coming up to worry about. This is where I can, I can play that uh, perfect matchup card that I have is it that Brandon Belt is a little bit older maybe a little bit cooler than he has been in the past is it something lingering where he is it maybe something with his knee where he's not able to stay in on left-handed pitchers as well as he has do you have any idea what has changed this
2: year well, I think you brought up a really good point, which is you don't have to save your pinch hitters for the pitcher spot. So you can be more aggressive getting matchups, whether it's early in the game, which, you know, they were willing to do last year anyway. I think there was one time when they pinch hit for Alex Dickerson in the second inning. But uh, sorry, Alex, I'm sure that didn't feel so good. But yeah, I, I think that it does allow them to you know be a little bit more aggressive getting matchups. And we know that they have no problem you know running out all their bench and exhausting everyone before they get to maybe the ninth inning or or saving them for extra innings. They, they, They don't save uh, people on their bench um, you know they if there's a spot to use them they will use them uh, and i don't i don't think they like to necessarily hold people back uh for situations that might not come up so but th- i think you make a great great point about not needing to have somebody else available for the next time the pitcher spot comes around or or the, or the next time you're not able to double switch your way around it and and yeah and that's why you get a rough for a belt where you probably wouldn't have gotten that a year ago
0: I do want to bring up that of all of the statistics that we have at our fingertips, one of the hardest to pars, and I'm talking like over a career almost, is going to be platoon splits because you will have a lot of noise in any given season. And last year, Brandon Belt was pretty okay against, uh, well, he's actually pretty good against left-handed pitching at an 832 OPS. That's good for him. Other years, he's awful. This year, he's been awful. I think you just have to assume that he's not going to be great against left-handed pitching. And if you're talking about who do you want up there against a left-handed pitcher, uh, a guy who is maybe a little bit funky, who is coming down from a lower arm slot— it's gonna be Darren Ruff. I know that Darren Ruff has had a rough season. Well, gosh, that's a I didn't no pun intended. <laughs> I know he's had a brutal season in a lot of respects. You still want that matchup. That is still why he's on the roster to be up there with the bases juiced and a left, a funky left-hander on the mound. And he works the count in his favor. He's ahead in the count, and he's just sitting on a pitch down the middle. He doesn't quite get it down the middle, but he still puts a heck of a swing on it. That's what you want. I I think it's when you start to parse those little tiny things that didn't go the Giants way, the Giants put themselves in a position to have things go their way. But uh, baseball got in the way.
2: One thing I've kind of wondered about, a lot of these very analytically inclined front offices are looking at trends and trying to make decisions around Things that are pretty obvious, like the third time through the lineup penalty, it's it you can document it. It's absolutely factual. Now, d- does it always apply in every circumstance? No, but definitely you can say that a pitcher is less successful the third time they face a lineup. Okay, so let's manage around that. Let's try to mitigate that. Let's try to reduce our exposure to that. The Giants pinch hit a ton. They have 133 pinch hit plate appearances. Nobody else in the major leagues has more than 95 the Colorado Rockies have pinch hit 19 times all year 19 the thing is pinch hitters never have a good average i mean the 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 major league average for a pinch hitter is 2.16 this year the ops is 644 the slugging percentage is 330. That's not good. Now, a lot of that, I think, is a function of they're facing, you know, really good relievers and they're, you know, they're probably facing some nastier stuff. Uh, so maybe you leave in, you know, the you're not pinch hitting uh, rough for, for Belt. You're letting Belt have uh, a left-on-left matchup. Maybe it'd be even worse. Who knows? But I do wonder if, you know, are you paying a penalty at some point by exposing yourself to more pinch hit at bats on some level? Because pinch hitters just in general don't have a lot of success. And, and, and the Giants, we didn't talk about this last year because they hit 18 pinch home runs and set the Major League record. And they obviously didn't get their first one until they all, all three of them have come in July. Ruff and then Belt and then a Flores the other day. So... I guess you could very easily make the flip side of that argument, which is, well, you know, if if the numbers are really bad because they're facing really good pitching, let's give ourselves the best chance against that pitching by getting the matchup. But also, you know, I, I just wonder if there's, um, if there's a disadvantage to pinch hitting so much. And I wonder if that's something that they've talked about. I'm sure they have.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
0: It is interesting. And as you're talking about this, uh, the hamster wheel in my brain starts going because I'm wondering if there's a selection bias in the overall statistics because who are, who are you going to send up to pinch hit? On average, it's going to be someone on your bench, someone at the back end of your roster, someone who's not as good as your starters. And so that's why there might be this, this discrepancy and the Giants feel like they don't have it because they're, they've are they got some super subs where you have Ruff or Slater against left handers. You've got uh, Lamont Way Jr. against a right right-hander, and that might even out. But at the same time, I think that your overall thesis might hold some water because the Giants set a major league record for pinch hit home runs last year. But do you remember what they hit as far as batting average uh, last year as a pinch hitting?
2: It wasn't great. And and the other thing is they set the major league record for pinch plate appearances by a ton last year as well. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's impressive unless you look at the rest of the numbers. I mean, it's still impressive. I mean, that's a lot of pinch homers. But uh, the overall average is not great. Yeah, 199.
0: There you go. 199. I mean, they sent uh, a pinch hitter up there 406 times. And most of the time, four-fifths of the time, it didn't work. Well, I guess you have to count the on-base percentage. They had a 310 on-base percentage, which is fine. But they ran into a lot of balls. And that is to their credit. But at the same time, I'm not sure how sustainable that is. I guess if you have 400 plate appearances, it's fairly sustainable.
2: Speaking of unsustainable, would you like to know... Uh, what team has the best uh, batting average from their pinch hitters this season?
0: 425,
2: 40 at bats, 17 hits, 425 average from their pinch hitters. Like you said, it's usually the guys on the on your bench, the guys who aren't good enough to play every day. This team has so much depth that they can hit 425 in the pinch, and it's the Kansas City Royals. So I, was I think what say the Royals the Reds. do. Here's what the Royals should do. They should take, oh, I don't know, 10 players off their roster and just tell them, just oh. stay at home. Stay at home. Skip this series. We're going to play the reserves, and we're going to see how that works. That's what the Royals should do.
0: Oh, my gosh. Did you see the tweet from the official account? The, no. The what did Kansas it say
2: oh, I'm, afraid. No, I'm afraid. It was,
0: uh, hey, we, we think everyone should get vaccinated. We're going to host a free uh, vaccination clinic here at the ballpark. And it was like a masterclass in subtext and passive aggressiveness. And I was really kind of impressive for an official team account to do. But anyways, uh, that is, that is a different can of worms. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Yep. Back, to, <laughs> back to the giants. So uh, I don't know. We're going to have a lot of data points this weekend because the Brewers, Listen, last year, before Devin Williams broke his hand, I thought the Brewers were the team to beat because they're set up so well for the postseason. And I know that they aren't filled with offensive juggernauts. And it's just a real pitching first team. I still think that the Brewers are the cat's meow. I just think that they are a fantastically uh, built team. And we're going to learn a lot about the Giants. You have Brandon Woodruff going uh, on Friday night and you have that bullpen. You cannot escape that bullpen. And... I don't know. It's the Giants have played so many poor teams, other than the Padres, uh, lately that it's it's jarring to watch a team like the Brewers come in, and then you have the Dodgers after that. This is really, it, I guess, you you can't ask for anything more before the deadline because you're really going to know where the Giants stand.
2: You know, Farhan Zaidi is on the record saying that they're not looking to sell. I think they're going to have to really play some bad baseball and and probably dip a, a few games below 500. Uh, to be in a position where they really would sell, but uh, I agree. It's you, you want to see how this this team measures up. Last time they faced the Dodgers, they swept them. You know, um, they, they've proven that they can hang with these other teams, mostly because they get really good starting pitching. I mean, you know, you go from a Rodon Burns matchup to a Webb Woodruff matchup the next day. That's that's pretty good stuff. I mean, that's that's uh that's a, a playoff series type um, setup right there, and. You know, it's the Giants just need to turn more batted balls into outs. I, I just, I keep coming back to that, uh, and that would solve so many problems or, or make the game so much more winnable if they could just do that more often.
0: Yeah, and again, it just goes to it's it's like it's almost like a, a puzzle, like a, a Sudoku puzzle or a crossword puzzle, where you keep. Just spinning in circles, and, and you're trying to find the answer, and I'm not sure if it's the answer. Speaking of puzzles and, and converting batted balls into outs, do you play Spelling Bee on the New York Times?
2: Oh, I love Spelling Bee, yeah.
0: Today I've put in Bocock about four times. <laughs> it's it just—it I, I look at it, and my brain works where I look at this jumble of letters, and I go oh Damn it, that is not an actual word. So I don't know how to go on from there. But it's—I—I it's, I, want to know if it seems like we're focused on are the giants buyers, are are they sellers, are they buyers, are they sellers, and it's this uh, false binary. I think because there is another option, which is just do nothing. And if that sounds maddening, they've done it before. I mean, they've held on to Madison Baumgartner and Will Smith, and people grumbled about it uh, at the same time. That's indirectly how they got Kyle Harrison. All those extra picks allowed them to play around with the 2020 draft and bonuses and slot money. Uh, that's how they got Kyle Harrison. So there is an argument for that. In 2019, everyone wanted to have wanted them to have a huge, great, big sell-off. They traded Sam Dyson. They traded Mark Melanson, but they didn't sell the entire roster. In fact, they they got Scooter uh, Jeanette at the deadline, as we all remember. But you know what I mean? It's there is another path which which is to do the bare minimum and just kind of keep forging ahead and maybe make the postseason by a game.
2: Yeah, thread the needle as it would be. You know, that's a really good way to look at the Bumgarner-Will Smith situation and the two draft picks that they got. Because I think it's, it's I've always just sort of reduced it to, okay, who are the players they drafted in those spots? That's who they got. But no, it's not necessarily uh, the fact that you, you know you're going to get player X and player Y. It's knowing that you're going to get that slot uh, bonus money uh, added to your pool. And you can use that in all kinds of different ways. You can draft a guy and then give him a below slot bonus and save it for somebody you take later. And and, and as you mentioned, that's exactly what they did. And they probably needed those two extra picks and, and to slide a little bit under slot on them to get Kyle Harrison. Although now that I think it through, I think one of those picks was Nick Swinney and he actually got an above slot bonus, but the point holds, the point holds. <laughs> the point holds, yeah, it's, they had, who did they
0: get? They got, I think the actual players they got are Jimmy Glowenke and Nick Swinney, uh, Swinney is doing okay in the minor leagues. Uh, glowenki has been up and down. But I really do think that it is, you have that. glowenki was way over the, the top. What, what am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, he was an overdraft by a whole bunch. And he's the one who kind of allowed the Giants to swoop in and sign Kyle Harrison away from his commitment. I'm actually writing about their draft futility right now and that that draft stands out as a success story somehow they're they're only 5 rounds and that's like their best draft of the past almost 10 years going back to the 2014 draft with Logan Webb and Austin Slater uh, they have not had a lot of draft success lately so this is our last podcast before the draft i'm going to ask you who is uh, their i'm going to ask you for their two top draft picks by war since the 2015 draft. So since 2015, they're two top picks by war.
2: Oh my goodness. Um whew, wow. Um gosh, where do I even begin? Whew, that's a tough one.
0: I know. That's putting you on the spot. I I do this stuff to you because you are a fancy Jeopardy
2: champion, so I feel you can handle it. Yeah, but my brain's not awake yet. Um <laughs> man, I don't know. It's it's probably Leaf pitcher, maybe? Yeah, that would be number two. That's Caleb Berger. Oh,
0: oh, um, wow. He, 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 he's number two. Number one, Steven Duggar. So Steven Duggar, Caleb Berger, uh, Andrew Suarez is number three. And then the four and five, they're on the roster right now. It's Joey Barton, David Vr. Wow. Yeah. So if you're talking about uh, seven years, that's what they've got from their draft picks. Boy, it's not good. And right now, you're looking at Elliot Ramos- having a chance to be the only player who makes the major leagues from the 2017 draft. And that's just not good. I mean, it's, you still have, a there's a lot of young players who still might come up. Uh, so that's really premature, but man, they're just not getting anything from their draftees.
2: Yeah. I mean, they did trade you know, Caleb Killian uh, who had a nice, uh, a pro debut and and obviously raised his stock a lot as kind of a mid round draft pick and and turned him into Chris Bryant so you know they, they should get credit for that as well and that's really what the Sabian era Giants did a lot of you know they 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 drafted guys almost knowing that they were going to be you know trading them uh, to get what they needed and so but yeah you're right it's uh, it it just goes to show that the draft as much Brainpower and resources as they put into this, and when I talked to Farhan a couple days ago, he had just landed in Arizona. They're going to have this huge summit, you know, to come up with uh, uh, set up their war room and everything. I mean, they pour a ton of brainpower into into the draft, and it still is such a fickle exercise. I mean, it's it's uh, nobody can say that they've come anywhere close to cracking the code on it, and uh, and that's why, to be honest, it's 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 probably the least interesting of all the. Pro sports drafts, just because you know these are not guys that you have necessarily heard of. They're not guys that you're necessarily going to see in even multiple years, uh, and they may not necessarily ever make the major leagues. So I know we spend a lot of, of of resources covering it, but you know I'm sort of like, okay, that's who they took. All right, get back to me in like four years.
0: That's all you can do. And, and it, listen, Moneyball, fantastic book, groundbreaking. Uh, it, it there's a before Moneyball and then after Moneyball, the movie was somehow fantastic, which I don't know how, that, that, that's magic to me, but the part about the draft is just so cringy when you reread it. Uh, it does not hold up well at all. Have you read those passages recently?
2: I mean, you know, everyone knows about Jeremy Brown and we're not here to sell jeans and stuff like that. And it's not like how, how many silver sluggers has Jeremy Brown won in the major leagues? Oh, that's right. Zero. So, I mean, you know, it's it's you can't ever be overconfident about your draft strategy. You, you just can't. I mean, it's just, you know, it would be like me uh, going and buying a, a Powerball ticket saying, well, OK, time to go, uh, you know, buy that Tesla. I'll come back and see uh, <laughs> uh, and, and return this ticket uh, tomorrow. Uh, and you just You can't do that.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to read a one passage. I don't want to belabor this point, but uh, here's a passage from Moneyball. It's Swisher and Blanton and McCurdy, says Eric. This is unfair. He clicks the button on the speakerphone and his voice shaking like a man calling in to say he holds the winning lotto ticket. Takes Blanton with the 24th pick, pauses while the Giants make their pick, and then takes McCurdy with the 26th. The Giants' pick was Matt Cain. Oh,
2: it was Matt Cain? Hey, oh.
0: So you and that is and honestly the Moneyball draft was a super successful draft. You did have Nick Swisher. You did have Joe Blaine. It was a great draft. But like, it's just it just goes to show that man, you do not know anything about this. And sh- I don't know. It's fascinating because I think the Giants, with one extra minor leaguer developed in the last like eight years, would be having a much different season this year. Uh, it's it's fascinating to talk about.
2: We're over time, but I want to leave you with this thought, and it's not uh, something that it's it's not original to me. In fact, Joel Sherman just wrote a column about this uh, the other day. The way you make the draft more interesting, allow them to trade draft picks. Allow them to trade draft picks. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Not only that, get it off of a Sunday.
0: A Sunday? You're gonna start the draft on a Sunday. Oh my gosh! I don't know how many times you've seen True Romance, but I can't say Sunday without saying <laughs> it. Like the, the producer in True Romance. All right, this has been episode 198 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back next Thursday. We're not going to be around for the All Star break uh, for logistical reasons, so we are going to be back. On Thursday, we'll talk about the draft. We'll talk about the All-Star game. We'll talk about the absolutely no Giants in the Home Run Derby. We will talk about baseball stuff. So we will see you then. Thanks so much for listening.